This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We had nothing to do. What happened with those poor kids? The disturbing discovery at a Vancouver church vandalized ahead of Sunday service. Plus... We make no money, but it's just it's just getting back up and running. Reopening relief. What to expect as BC inches closer to the next phase of recovery. And... You know, a lot of people probably don't want to talk about the Vancouver riots, but I think that's exactly why we should. Remembering the riots 10 years after Vancouver burned, how BC filmmakers are using public art to understand what happened. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. Many have called the recent discovery of an unmarked burial site at the former Kamloops Residential School a reckoning when it comes to reconciliation. But it's also led to an angry response by some targeting symbols of colonialism and authority. Paul Johnson has details of the recent acts of vandalism. For parishioners at St. Augustine's Catholic Church in Vancouver, this wasn't part of the Sunday plan. It's so sad. It is really sad. We had nothing to do. What happened with those poor kids? But vandals have apparently decided they do. Defacing the brick and stone surfaces of the church's exterior overnight with messages attacking them over the apparent discovery of 215 bodies in an unmarked grave at the Kamloops Residential School which for most of its history was run by the Catholic Church. These are true followers of Christ. Please don't blame the people of today for what happened before. St. Augustine's was one of several symbols in B.C. vandalized in recent days out of apparent reaction to the situation in Kamloops. This is what happened to a statue of Queen Victoria on the B.C. legislature grounds. And overnight, this memorial to the same queen in Stanley Park was also hit and quickly cleaned up. The question of what to do with statues and images that some find offensive is a troubling question across North America. Some say tear them down. Others say better to put up new statues that reflect our current values. I came in for communion uh, just now at uh, 12.30. If the vandals' intent was to frighten and humiliate the parishioners at St. Augustine's, then mission accomplished. But if they were hoping to trigger meaningful dialogue about reconciliation, you can be the judge of whether that worked. I was expecting something like this, uh, hoping it wouldn't happen, but it did. And uh, we'll clean it off and we'll continue on. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A three-day journey in the interior aimed at helping to heal from the legacy of the residential school system culminated in the shoe swap this afternoon. Hundreds arrived today at the Adams Lake Indian Band Gym in Chase. 
The Walking Our Spirits Home journey in support of residential school survivors had started in Kamloops on Friday. It's been particularly impactful due to the recent discovery of that unmarked burial site of up to 215 children. When we get to the end, we get to have a brush off with the cedar boughs. And they just tell you that uh, you've brought the children home because they're walking with us. And it's just emotional because I, I didn't expect to cry yesterday, but it's, it's just an emotional time because you know that this is only the first finding of the children. I come from the Stalo territory. Uh, my grandma is from here and I came here to walk and support her and the other survivors today and be in unity and share some strength together. Um, in my language, Halkamalem, we say Letzamot, which means one heart, one mind. So being together uh, and sharing that strength with each other and especially supporting the survivors who are with us today. It's beautiful. I mean, the, today their um, stories are not stories, it's, it's truth. It's truth and that's why people are gathering here. And nobody, or the people here don't have to wonder anymore. BC's Independent Investigations Office is searching for an Indigenous civilian monitor as it investigates the police shooting death of a Tofino area Indigenous man. In February, two RCMP officers were called to the Opisat First Nation on Mears Island to locate a woman in distress. 28-year-old Julian Jones was shot and killed by police. The province's police watchdog wanted to engage with the community more than passing along information periodically, and it decided to name its first-ever Indigenous civilian monitor, but it has yet to find a candidate who is comfortable with the privacy protocols. Well, there is a challenge in that a member of the community would have to come in and be party to all of this information, but then wouldn't allow be able under the privacy laws of BC to pass that information along to other members of the community, other than to write this report, which I was going to make public at the end of the day, um, to, to, give the, to talk about their conclusions on what they saw as the objectivity. Um, you know, that's, is that the right way uh, for this to be done with Indigenous communities in BC? Um, we need to work through and figure out if this is in fact the right way to do it. Uh, at the moment, it's the only way under the legislation that is available to us. In central BC, a tanker truck transporting fuel is burning so hot, the fire is too dangerous to fight. The truck caught fire around noon today on Highway 24, just west of Little Fort. It's carrying 53,000 liters of fuel. Police and firefighters from nearby Little Fort and Blackpool have determined it's too hazardous to fight directly, so an 800-meter perimeter has been set up. Highway 24 is partially reopened to traffic, but expect major delays. Tuesday is the day most British Columbians are looking forward to this week as we officially move into step two of our restart plan due to the pandemic. Grace Key has more on some of the industries preparing for the day that brings us closer to our semblance of normal. Get ready to dig into a tub of warm, buttery popcorn. Movie theaters will be welcoming guests on June 15 as part of the province's COVID reopening plan. With limited capacity, it's a good idea to reserve your seats ahead of time. Landmark Cinemas is getting ready with their COVID safety protocols. The concessions is wide open. You will have to wear a mask as you come in through the facility for sure. But get your concessions, go get your seats that you've reserved. And once you're in those seats, you'll have physical distancing from anyone around you. You can take the mask off and enjoy a popcorn and, and things start to feel pretty normal at that point. 
Riverside Banquet in Richmond is busy with its reopening after the industry was essentially shut down for a year and a half. But six out of nine of their events have been postponed when clients found out COVID protocols means no loud music and no dancing for banquet halls. And with no more than 50 guests allowed, Riverside will just be breaking even. It won't keep us afloat. It'll just be like almost like a break even like the amount of money we're charging for the 50 people. Uh, we make no money, but it's just, it's just getting back up and running. Uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed uh, on the next uh, stage of opening on July 1st that hopefully we can uh, get more people in our halls. Recreational travel will also be allowed again within the province. Granville Island has been hit hard with no cruise ships, the border shut down and limited domestic travel. Oyama Sausage has seen some good local support, but like everyone, is hoping tourists return. The tourism industry affects us because the hotels are empty, are closed. For that, yeah, of course, but like I said, we open our staff a paycheck every, every two weeks. That's the most important. The earliest start for the next phase is on July 1st. Another step towards normal. Grace Key, Global News. And Premier John Horgan will lead the official announcement of phase two of the reopening at a news conference scheduled for tomorrow morning. Of course, this all depends on the Delta variant not running unchecked. Keith Baldry is joining us now from Victoria with more on that. So, Keith, what do we need to keep in mind here? Yeah, the Delta variant, I have to tell you, a lot of people are concerned about this. So it's now the dominant strain of COVID-19 in the United Kingdom. It's on the rise in Alberta and Ontario and the United States. Uh, again, it's considered to be more infectious, potentially leading to more serious illness and more hospitalizations. Now, what is the situation in BC? Not that bad when it comes to the Delta variant. Here's a look at the numbers of uh, variants of concern, a comparison over the last couple of weeks. The gamma uh, uh, variant of concern, originally P1, is now the... the the uh, highest proportion uh, of the variants of uh, concern. It's replaced the ELF of, of B117 originally from the UK, which was the dominant variant for so long. Take a look at Delta. It's gone from 3% to 9% in that time frame. So it's, uh, again, very interesting that uh, it's basically tripled in a very short period of time. Uh, we caught up with Dr. Sally Otto, UBC um, mathematician and biologist, who expresses her ongoing concern of what she sees with the Delta variant. The concerns are, especially with Delta, just kind of hovering around that if we open up that much more, it's just going to skyrocket again. Now, um, most of the um, changes are things like more um, larger gatherings allowed outdoors. I think outdoors is fairly safe. I'm not too worried about that. Increased travel. Travel is not the risk. The risk is you travel and then you have parties and indoor gatherings with lots of people. That's the risk. So Dr. Bonnie Henry did present modeling last week that shows that there is an expectation as we gather in larger numbers and have more contacts, our COVID numbers could go up in July and August, and that could include a rise in the Delta variant cases. But again, we're not seeing an increase in hospitalizations or cases for that matter. So even though Delta variant is on the rise in BC, it's not at a problem level yet. But of course, keeping a very nervous eye on those numbers in the weeks ahead. Yeah, important words of caution as we look forward to Tuesday. All right, thanks so much for that, Keith. While some B.C. tourist destinations have benefited from millions in federal cash, Vancouver's Chinatown has been all but alone in its battle to recover from the pandemic. And as Kristen Robinson reports, advocates say the sorry state of the neighbourhood is just another example of the inequities racialized communities are facing. Newtown Bakery is open for business. 
Nobody experienced this before. Eh? When COVID hit, there was panic in Chinatown. But Susanna Ng, who's been selling her famous steam buns for more than 40 years, managed to survive. I'm doing a little bit better than others, I would say, you know, because I have so many loyal customers. The pandemic forced many small businesses to close, leading to more vacant storefronts in Vancouver's National Historic Site, which was already in decline. It's basically a zero-dollar effort to, to assist the neighborhood. Granville Island, which is federally owned, received $17 million in emergency relief funding in 2020, and Ottawa has earmarked another $22 million this year. While advocates say there's no COVID lifeline for Chinatown. It seems that every time there's you know, some sort of governmental initiative that Chinatown continues to be overlooked time and time again. And because of that unequal access, now they're even worse off. Nothing for Chinatown. The apparent inequity, frustrating those on the ground who are experiencing garbage and graffiti, landfills in their lots, doorways defaced, and alleys alienated by signs of disrespect. The neglected nature of what's happening in Chinatown is really, I think, going into basics of sanitation as well as street maintenance. Urban planner Andy Yan says we need to reinvest in the small business and cultural infrastructure shut down by COVID. Chinese Canadians building the railway going to fight when they were not even called Canadians. The immigrant story, says Michael Tan, resonates with everyone. And we can all help build a stronger and better Chinatown by supporting local. The cultural heritage here in Chinatown, you know, is so important to conserve for future generations. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Another city is confronting B.C.'s homeless crisis by trying to clear out a makeshift camp. Prince George City Council will discuss a new Safe Streets bylaw on Monday. The new law would only allow people to build temporary camps when there's no shelter space available and only in certain areas. Right now, B.C. Housing says there is enough shelter space to meet the need. So the bylaw would effectively outlaw homeless camps that have popped up around the city. We've seen these complex issues throughout the entire province and here we are dealing with it in Prince George and so through a great deal of discussion uh, we decided to go in this direction. Once again here we go with another level of government just really imposing uh, a very punitive uh, colonial uh, government that, uh, that is basically uh, punishing poverty. Residents of a camp near the courthouse have until June 25th to leave or face a $100 fine. The city will discuss a special bylaw to manage homelessness at its next council meeting. The family of Trina Hunt is hoping a new poster campaign will generate clues in her ongoing murder investigation. This large sign is now in place on Silver Skagit Road in Hope, reminding the public about the $50,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and charge in Trina Hunt's homicide. The 48-year-old's remains were found south of Silver Creek in Hope on March 29th. Trina's husband, Ian, reported her missing from their Port Moody home on January 18th. Last weekend, homicide investigators executed search warrants at the Port Moody residence and Ian's parents' home in Mission as well. No charges have been laid. A memorial is growing outside the home of a Naramata homicide victim, Kathy Richardson, as friends grieve the loss of someone who they describe as a hard-working single mother. 
The 57-year-old's body was discovered on Wednesday by police who visited the home in the 3900 block of 3rd Street near Naramata Village. It was in connection to last month's double homicide of Kamloops brothers Eric and Carlos Fryer. Police believe all three deaths were targeted and likely linked to local drug and gang activity. But close family friends who spoke to Global News off-camera say Kathy was in no way involved with illegal activities. They say she was desperately trying to help her adult son escape a life of substance abuse and crime. No arrests have been made in any of the Naramata killings. Well, if you owe library fines in Vancouver, you are going to be in luck. The Vancouver Public Library is instituting a fine amnesty for the next two weeks. Starting on Monday until June 27th, Vancouver residents can contact their local branch to have their fines forgiven. Currently, once a library user reaches $10 in fines, their borrowing privileges are suspended. The VPL says this greatly impacts those with lower incomes as they feel some will have to choose between paying for a necessity and borrowing books. The VPL found that 30% of all blocked cardholders live in four of the city's lowest income neighborhoods, Strathcona, Grandview Woodland, Downtown and Mount Pleasant. Everyone is always welcome to come in and talk to us about library fines. We don't want fines to be a barrier to you using the library. So if someone has fines and they miss the two-week period of the fine forgiveness event, we do hope that you come in and talk to us anyway. In 2019, the VPL collected $667,000 in fines. This year, City Council has approved $150,000 towards this year's fine forgiveness. The VPL is exploring ways to move towards a permanent fine-free model, which has already been instituted in North Vancouver, Richmond and Burnaby. And after the break, a dog's dangerous encounter. We started running, I started calling the vet assuming that it had it was a rattlesnake how bentley is doing and the advice if you find yourself in a similar situation and there was quite a delay in the premier bringing out a pro-vaccination campaign a little late on the lottery why some say alberta's vaccination prizes should have come sooner Firefighters spent most of the day at a port moody neighborhood after a large fire destroyed two properties early this morning Large flames lit up the dark sky when the fire broke out at about 3 a.m. Crews say two houses under construction on the corner of Moody and Henry Streets caught fire. Both buildings sustained severe damage from the flames. Two other laneway houses also damaged by the smoke. This afternoon, crews were still managing to put out hotspots. There are no reports of any injuries and no word yet on the cause. We're basically halfway in between both our Glen Eyre and our Inland Centre Firehouse, so uh, both those units responded and, uh, uh, in a timely manner. And uh, like I said, the, the buildings were fully involved on their arrival, so it was a well-established fire. BC is sending more crews to help put out wildfires burning in eastern Canada. 60 firefighters and one support staff member left Abbotsford this weekend to help in firefighting efforts in Quebec as the forest fire threat there remains extreme in the region. The BC Wildfire Service says the pandemic means firefighters will remain within their own bubbles and conduct operations separately from other crews. BC personnel were also sent in to help on, in Ontario earlier this week and Manitoba last month as wildfire activity picks up in other parts of the country. 
Well, it was quite the fright for a dog and its owner in the North Okanagan recently. The pooch was bitten by a venomous snake earlier this week while they were out on a hiking trail. Darian Matassafung has the story. And all of a sudden he yelped. And so I pulled him back. My girlfriend and I looked under the bench and there was a little snake. Amber McDermott and her nine-year-old rescue dog, Bentley, had quite the scare this past week when Bentley was bitten on the face by what appeared to be a rattlesnake on a hiking trail at Kalamalka Lake Provincial Park in Coldstream. We started running. I started calling the vet, assuming that it, had, it was a rattlesnake. Um, and yeah, we had to rush him to Kelowna. Uh, there's a vet there, Fairfield. Animal Hospital, they're the only ones that carry the anti-venom in the Okanagan. On the way, Bentley's face started to swell rapidly, but thankfully they arrived at the Fairfield relatively quickly to get him treatment. Fairfield Animal Hospital was too busy with animal emergencies for an interview today, but did offer a statement via social media. Bentley came to Fairfield and received anti-venom and stayed with us overnight for fluids and observation and now he's home and happy with his family. If you see a rattler, back away slowly and give them a wide berth. If your dog is bitten, carry small dogs and calmly walk larger dogs to the car and get to your veterinarian as soon as possible. According to the Ministry of Environment, the Okanagan is home to the Northern Pacific rattlesnake. Bites are very uncommon and rarely fatal for humans, but can be extremely dangerous for dogs and can lead to blood clotting and internal organ damage. Darian Matassafung, Global News. And coming up, honoring an officer killed while on duty. When we do see them, like I said, they are part of our family. So when we suffer a loss like this, we all feel it. How Constable Shelby Patton is being remembered. Plus... With three $1 million prizes and a range of ex other exciting prizes. Alberta launches a vaccine lottery even as the province's positivity rate drops. In Saskatchewan, the on-duty death of Constable Shelby Patton has left family, colleagues and area residents in shock. Outside of the Indian Head RCMP detachment where Patton spent the entirety of his six-year and four-month career, a memorial is growing. Police say the 26-year-old had been following an allegedly stolen truck Saturday morning when he attempted a traffic stop in Wolsey, east of Regina. He was run down by the vehicle as it took off. Two people have been arrested and are facing charges. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canada will donate 13 million vaccine doses to a global shot-sharing initiative. The announcement comes as he wraps up his third and final day at the G7 Leaders Summit in the UK. That comes as the World Health Organization and humanitarian groups called for vaccine financing and donations of surplus supply from Canada. The Trudeau government is also giving money so that poorer nations can buy another 87,000 doses. All told, Trudeau says Canada has already sent millions to international organizations to buy and supply their own vaccines. To break that down, Canada's funding to the ACT Accelerator is helping 87 million doses be provided to developing countries. In addition, we're donating 13 million doses procured by Canada to other countries through COVAX. We will also have more to say in the coming weeks as our vaccine procurement process identifies even more doses that can be shared with the world. 
Alberta joined Manitoba in announcing a vaccine lottery to try and encourage more people to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The Kenny government says Alberta is projected to hit the 70% milestone of first doses on June 18th. It comes as the province is inching closer to triggering the next and final phase of their reopening plan. Nicole Stilger has more. The announcement came in a video posted to social media Saturday night. We are launching the Open for Summer vaccine lottery. Standing in the Edmonton Expo Centre's vaccine clinic on a Saturday afternoon, Premier Jason Kenney says no one was turning up for a shot. We're not getting enough demand right now. The lottery is an incentive to reach the 70% first dose threshold needed to transition to the third and final stage of the province's reopening plan. Here's how it will work. Albertans over 18 who got at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine can register to be entered in the draw for the $1 million prize. Any Albertan who got their first shot outside the province is also eligible, but has to submit proof to Alberta Health Services and meet all other criteria. The cutoff to register will be one week after hitting that 70% target. The winner will be drawn when we reach stage three. Hopefully we'll get a lot of those people who are kind of on the fence Dr. Noel Gibney says it should be repeated in August to encourage second doses for better protection against the Delta variant and to avoid a fourth wave. It really is important that they put as much effort into getting people their second doses as they're now putting appropriately into the first doses. NDP health critic David Shepard says he also supports this incentive. Any steps we can take to convince more people to go ahead and get the COVID-19 vaccine Shepard points to the success of different kinds of vaccine lotteries around the world. And while he's supportive of the idea, he says the UCP government could have done more leading up to now to increase vaccine uptake. There was quite a delay in the Premier bringing out a pro-vaccination campaign. We asked the Premier about that back in January, and we did not see that campaign actually roll out until, I believe, last month. The Premier says there will be other prizes, including two more million-dollar draws. Details will be released in the coming days. Nicole Stilger, Global News. Coming up next, what will it take to right the wrongs of the past? Our rights to make our own laws, to make our own, to do our own deciding. What a former administrator of the Kamloops Residential School says will lead to true reconciliation. Next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. For about five years, four years, I didn't make music. I didn't do anything. A BC musician's journey to the international stage and how he's helping students get to the next level. That story's ahead, but first, let's find out what's in store weather-wise. Bringing in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at that. Last time I looked out a window, <laughs> it looked like it had started to clear. Is more rain in store for tonight? Yeah, we are going to see another round of rain. It's been a bit of a mixed bag over the weekend. We had some sunshine, and what a difference a day makes. Yesterday, we had temperatures uh, soaring for a few areas. It was humid, and today we've seen on and off rainfall. It's looking pretty gray out there, and we'll continue to see that weather picture leading in towards tomorrow. We're sitting at 16, but we've got calm winds. Here's a quick snapshot of the satellite and radar in the area.
areas in green, the darker areas, especially stretching in towards the Fraser Valley is where we're seeing some heavier waves right now. A few isolated showers still across the island, and we are going to see some instability for tomorrow for the northern and central half with even the risk of thunderstorms. Overnight tonight, with that rainfall, temperatures will be down to 14 degrees. A heads up for your Monday morning. We'll have cloud cover and a chance of showers. Should taper off, and then we're looking at a mainly cloudy sky for tomorrow, and temperatures will be up to 19. Chance for some rain dips slightly, especially towards tomorrow afternoon, and then it picks up on Tuesday. Unsettled, but in our long range, we've got some sunshine and temperatures are going to warm up as well. Wanted to put the future cast and stop this, especially late evening and overnight. Many spots in the interior, the Okanagan, the Kootenai included within that, we'll be looking at the risk of thunderstorms late evening, overnight, and then that instability is going to continue for tomorrow. So we are continuing to watch that especially for this evening. Now, the northern half of the province for tomorrow, lots of instability. It'll be cool along the coast with highs just up to 14 degrees. The northeastern corners for the piece bumping up to 25 and much of the central interior showers and the risk of thunderstorms. And that extends in towards the southern half, southeastern corners and the Columbian Kootenai will be included within that. Still a few spots, though, warming up tomorrow. Cranbrook into the low 30s, touching closer to 30 degrees for Castlegar. Whistler will see on and off showers should start to taper off by the afternoon. Highs will be up to 18. Along the south coast, we'll see that instability stretching along the Sunshine Coast and then the northern and central half. Victoria tomorrow will be on the cool side, 16 as the high. We've got two unsettled days as we kick things off for the beginning of our work week, but drier, especially towards the afternoon. Tuesday so far, calling for some showers. Should taper off on Wednesday with a drier day. And then Nithu, really looking forward. Thursday, Friday, we'll be back into some sunshine and temperatures are going to warm up back into the low 20s. Friday, we could even get up to 25 degrees. Wow, quite the incline there. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. A white rock singer has found huge success this year. Love Randawa's latest album, Believe in Me, has been a big hit in several parts of the world. As Jay Durant reports, the veteran musician is now taking some time to give back to the community here at home. Let's take a look. Here they are. <laughs> Your signature donuts are in the house. Wicked! It's not every day you get a dessert named after you, but this is for local charity, and sales have been brisk. So you pretty much got the last two? Well, I got desire, you like my fire. It's been a banner year for Love Randawa. He may not be on any menus in the UK, but he did win International Artist of the Year at the Bangura Awards there. I got desire, you like my fire. And his album Believe in Me hit number two on the soul and R&B iTunes charts in Canada only beaten out by a fairly well-known artist. The boss, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, who stayed number one. But I mean, we were overpassing Alicia Keys, John Legend. Like, these are people that I look up to. Randawa has been in the music game for two decades, and this success is so rewarding considering he left the scene altogether at one point. It took a little nudge from a mentor to bring him back. I told him, you know, to hang in there and uh, keep pursuing his dream because I knew that he had the potential and he had it in him to make it big one day. Health is a huge thing. And, you know, I said to myself, love, you've enjoyed music, you know, but at this point in my life, I had stopped. So for about five years, four years, I didn't make music, I didn't do anything. Now Randawa is set to play mentor himself, offering several scholarships to young artists in BC. And that will include a chance to work alongside him and learn about the business. He's been here for a long time, right? He's been doing this. 
I just started, I'm 18, right? So, you know, I'm really excited to work with them. Uh, blessing uh, from uh, the House of Commons. And the honors uh, keep coming in, even a shout out from the federal government. Worthy recognition and some sweet rewards for a singer who never stopped believing in himself. And the donut's called a Triple Berry Believe in Me Donut. Oh. You're gonna get a lot of no's first, but when you start getting those yeses, I tell you, everybody's gonna say yes. It's, and it's a, it's a beautiful cycle, to be honest. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, you can email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. What a great story. We're putting it in order for a dozen donuts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that. <laughs> All right, Barry, what do you have coming up in sports today? Well, a lot of Canadians have been kind of lost, kind of shaken a little bit the last couple of days. There was no hockey for two days, but today they got their fix. Isles and Tampa Bay will have highlights of that coming up in sports. All right, and speaking of hockey, coming up, preventing a repeat of the 2011 Stanley Cup riot. We want to get people to look at those and, and think about, you know, 10 years later, how can we do better? How BC filmmakers are using a public art installation to reopen a conversation about the night Vancouver burned. Stay with us. It has been more than 40 years since the Kamloops Residential School was closed, but one former administrator there says we are a long way from righting the wrongs of the past. Chad Klassen of CFJC News has more on what Nathan Matthew thinks needs to be done to achieve reconciliation. And a warning, the following story may be triggering to some viewers. We're still uh, in that colonized state uh, in so many ways. The recent discovery of 215 unmarked graves on Tecumloops to Shkwepmik has opened up wounds for residential school survivors and others impacted. The residential school system and what happened to those children is just part of a, a much larger, more comprehensive, purposeful, strategic plan of cultural genocide. It's also brought to light the lack of progress in reconciliation with First Nations across the country. This following the Truth and Reconciliation findings that were released in 2015, with 94 calls to action for the federal government. Every time there's an opportunity to, uh, to do something that's really relevant, that the, both governments have shown that they're more than willing to, to take the, uh, the minimalist route, the easiest route for them, at the least cost. Matthew says with the Indian Act relatively unchanged since it came to be in 1876, it has made First Nations people to still feel colonized. In general terms, the Indian Act is the primary law the federal government uses to administer Indian status, local First Nation governments, and the management of reserve land. I'd really like to see the, the laws changed so that uh, the rights of Indigenous people uh, of, of the Sahuam are are recognized our rights to make our own laws to make our own to do our own deciding about how we're going to live shame at the at the history that we were a part of uh, a colonizing project um i mean that's clearly what it was it was it was a, a project of assimilation and and the the the, the residential schools we're, it's clear now that um 
the residential schools should never have happened. A part of reconciliation also is Canadian residents educating themselves on what happened at residential schools. Matthew wants people to use this discovery as an opportunity to learn about the historical imbalance between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. He says it could be a real catalyst for change across the country. Chad Klassen, CFJC News. And coming up, what do you remember about the Stanley Cup riot? And it's only until we can, you know, have that conversation that we can actually move forward. Filmmakers borrowing a museum display gather stories 10 years later to help understand what happened. Get your drums out to celebrate Canada Day. Drum together to promote diversity, multicultural harmony, and love for a better world during the Canada Day Drumming Virtual Celebration. Register today for free to join thousands across the country for a Guinness World Record. Big Sisters of BC Lower Mainland know youth who have a strong, supportive relationship with adults outside their immediate family are more confident, have less anxiety, and greater academic success. Enroll a child in their program and give them the gift of mentorship. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for a look at sports, and many are getting their hockey fix once again, Barry. Yeah, there was a long couple of days for some people, but uh, back on the ice today. Thanks, Nithu. The uh, Stanley Cup semifinals got underway today with a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference final between the Islanders and Lightning. But with just divisional play this year, these teams haven't seen each other since that series. So plenty of mystery to really know who's playing the best right now. The Islanders, though, sent a message today. They plan on getting some revenge for losing in six games to the Stanley Cup champs last year. An electric atmosphere in Tampa, as you might expect, for a team called the Lightning. Second period, scoreless. Josh Bailey intercepts the pass, then fires a perfect pass to spring Matthew Barzell, and the Coquitlam kid goes five-hole before barreling into Andre Vasilevsky. One-nothing Isles, Barzell's fourth goal in his last five playoff games. Third period, Isles add to the lead. Ryan Pulak from the point. He does have a big shot, but this is one Vasilevsky would like back. Goes right through him. 2-0 New York. Lightning in the final minute on the power play. And with the extra attacker, they do get one back. It's Braden Point with his league-leading ninth of the playoffs. That made it 2-1. In the final moments, Tampa one last shot to tie, but it's wide. And New York off to a good start in their semi. Take game 1-2-1. Habs and Golden Knights begin their series in Vegas tomorrow night. Well, more positive news from the Danish Soccer Federation regarding the condition of midfielder Christian Eriksen today. He continues to rest in hospital after collapsing on the field in yesterday's match versus Finland. The Danish team doctor confirmed today that Eriksen was, quote, gone for a moment before being resuscitated. He is truly lucky to be alive. But Eriksen apparently is more concerned about the well-being of his teammates after witnessing such a traumatic event. That's the kind of guy he is, and we hope he has a speedy recovery. Action today. Group D, England-Croatia from Wembley in London. Of course, Croatia beat England in the semis of the 2018 World Cup. England had a lot of chances. Phil Foden beats the keeper but hits the post scoreless at the half. But in the 57th England breakthrough, it's Raheem Sterling. That's his first goal for England in his 13th match. They need him to keep scoring. England off to a strong start. 1-0 the win over Croatia. England play Scotland Friday also at Wembley. 
Netherlands and Ukraine from Amsterdam, where the uh, orange crush was in full voice. Wild second half. The Dutch get things rolling. It's their captain, Jorginho Wijnaldum, converting on the juicy rebound. Netherlands would go up 2-0, but Ukraine roar back. What a strike here by Andre Yarmolenko, about 22 yards out, perfectly curled in with the left foot. That fired up Ukraine. They're now within one. Just four minutes later, Ukraine free kick. And it's Roman Yaremchuk getting ahead on it. And Ukraine, in the space of five minutes, turned that 2-0 deficit into a 2-2 tie. But the joy did not last long. Six minutes later, Denzel Dumfries with the power header to the corner. And the Dutch get the full three points after a wild 3-2 win over Ukraine. Also today from Group C, Austria and North Macedonia tied 1-1 in the 78th when the Austrians take the lead. Michael Gregorich times the volley perfectly. Big goal for the Austrians. They lead 2-1. And then in the 89th, they put this one away. Marko Arnautovic walks around the keeper. Cooley puts it in for the third for Austria. They are a tied atop Group C with the Netherlands after the 3-1 win over North Macedonia. French Open men's final. World number one Novak Djokovic against fifth-seeded Greek Stefano Tsitsipas. The uh, Grecian formula was perfect. The first two sets, Tsitsipas won the uh, opener in a tie break, really took it to Djokovic in the second, led two sets to love. But we all know that doesn't mean much playing Djokovic, who turned it up a few notches, took the third, and then in the fourth shows his touch with the backhand dropper for the winner. It was a real slugfest, just everything uh, going into every point from both guys. Djokovic again here with the backhand dropper in the fourth. And he took that fourth set as well, six games to two. So we're going to need a fifth set. And uh, Djokovic got one early break and then rode it to match point. Big serve out wide eventually leads to this put away. And the Joker does it again, wins the French Open. Halfway to the calendar slam after winning the Aussie earlier. It's 19 grand slams, one behind Federer and Nadal. Montreal's Felix Auger-Aliassime lost in the final at a grass court event in Stuttgart. To Martin uh, Marincilic, Felix now 0-8 in Painful ATP defeat, event finals. To Baseball the today, the Blue Jays had their hitting shoes on against the Red Sox. Already 3-0 in the first. Lourdes Goriel Jr. with the homer over the Green Monster. 4-0 Toronto, and they were just getting started. In the fourth, Teoscar Hernandez launches a three-run blast. Had one of those... Uh, Back in the uh, second inning as well, or the first inning as well, 9-1 Jays. And then in the fifth, Bo Bichette. That is a three-run jack. Fifth homer of the day for the team, and they still had more to come. In the seventh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. taking it to right center. 21st homer, 55 RBIs. He's got a 344 batting average. Those all lead the American League. That is called the triple crown right there. Jays, eight homers, 18-4 blowout over the Red Sox. Women's basketball from Puerto Rico, the America Cup. Good Olympic tune-up tournament for Canada, who took on Brazil today. Langley's Aislinn Koenig, number two at the bottom of the screen. She can hit the three ball, sinks one here to give Canada the lead in the second quarter. And Koenig back for more. Hits another three-pointer. She had six points in the game for Canada as the Canadians led 45-37 at half. It was tight late fourth, though. Canada comes up clutch. It's Nira Fields with the three-pointer, and Canada wins 71-67. They're 2-0 in the tournament. 
They play El Salvador tomorrow. Canada, a definite metal hopeful in Tokyo. NBA playoffs, game four, Bucks and Nets from Milwaukee. Boy, key play here in the second quarter. Kyrie Irving will make the basket, but comes down on the foot of Giannis Antetokounmpo, turns his right ankle, writhing in pain, left the game and did not return, left the building using crutches. X-rays were negative, but Irving joins James Harden on the injury list. The big three down to just Kevin Durant. Bucks took full advantage. Look at the pass by Drew Holiday. Bounce pass through the legs of Durant for Giannis, who had 34. They even the series at two apiece, 107-96. All of a sudden, Brooklyn not a sure thing. We'll see who's in the lineup for Game 5 Tuesday in Brooklyn. And final round of the Palmetto Championship in South Carolina. Native South Carolinian Dustin Johnson, the big favorite in this tournament, in the hunt until he implodes on 16. This is for double bogey. Missed it. Triple bogey for Johnson, who finished tied 10th. South African Garrick Higo playing in just his second ever PGA Tour event makes eagle at the 12th. He posted 11 under, but when he finished, he was two shots off the lead. But Shasan Hadley looking for his first win in seven years, bogeyed 16, bogeyed 17, and then at 18, needs to make this to force a playoff, but he misses as well. So out of nowhere, the 22-year-old South African Garrick Higo wins his first PGA Tour event. Nick Taylor was 44th. Roger Sloan, 52nd. And that is it for sports. Nithu, back to you. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, a decade after the Stanley Cup riot, how BC filmmakers are setting up a public art display to further the dialogue. It was a decade ago that most of the province was caught up in the Canucks run for the Stanley Cup. Sadly, we all know how that ended. And that's the hope for a couple of filmmakers who are searching for memories of the historic event. The project they're working on has drawn the interest of ESPN and, as Amadagahi reports, if you remember the riot, it could involve you. Being caught in the middle of chaos, it's not something you would forget. So I can just remember seeing like the smoke rising over like the, the buildings and when we were crossing the bridge, there was like a convoy police cars coming into the downtown court. A riot that sparked almost instantaneously after hundreds of thousands had gathered downtown Vancouver to watch a hockey game. And I heard that the Canucks lost and then everything broke out into chaos. There was people smashing windows, there was cars on fire. Now on the 10-year anniversary of this dark night in Vancouver's history, two filmmakers are attempting to rediscover stories, both told and untold, from the 2011 Stanley Cup riot. This is a, you know, a very sensitive topic and you know a lot of people probably don't want to talk about the Vancouver riots, but I think that's exactly why we should. <laughs> The smashing, flipping, lighting on fire, and looting caused $3.7 million of damage. Please, I don't, I don't want to talk about it, sorry. In the years that followed, 300 people were charged. I was surprised that it was that uh, extreme. Yeah. Like, why would people do that? It was embarrassment, a feeling of anger and disbelief that compelled some to try and undo bits of damage. Many came downtown in the days that followed to help clean up. In the weeks after, messages of apology and hope were written on boards used to protect storefronts from further harm. The filmmakers planned to use those same boards as exhibits on loan from the Museum of Vancouver at a pop-up display in the plaza of the art gallery on Monday. We just want to have meaningful conversations as to, you know, like how can we be better as a city and as a community. And to understand why this happened and how it continues to impact the city. 
a decade removed. Amadagahi, Global News. Still shocking to see those images even a decade later. Mm. Well, hopefully that will never happen again. We can't do it three times, can we? But I guess the Canucks got to get back to the finals first before we find out. Exactly. One step at a time. <laughs> right. That's it for us tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11.